0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by fullscale.io.
1: And we are back. It is time for another episode of Startup Hustle. I am your host, Lauren Conway of Innovate Her KC. Wanted to take a moment to mention that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Thank you, Fullscale. With us today, we have Marianne Schnall, and Marianne is something of a hero of mine. She is founder of What Will It Take Movements, Feminist.com, and a prolific author and journalist. Marianne, thank you so much for being with us here today.
0: Thank you, Lauren. I'm happy to be here.
1: Good. I've been really, really excited about this. So we're going to go ahead and hop right in. And I'm just going to ask you, Marianne, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your journey and and who you are, what you're about.
0: Wow. Well, that's a pretty <laughs> wide question. I have to think about that. What am I about? Um, but My journey has been sort of a twisty one, um, which, you know, has had many different sort of just unexpected turns to it, which which, by the way, you can plot, try to plot your your career path. But you should always know that, you know, there's going to be unexpected opportunities along the way. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a writer from very early on um, when I was writing stories and articles for my school papers And um, one of my first jobs was as a reporter for us, the entertainment magazine, of all things. Um, I started out, I was one of those um, people you saw on the red carpet um, at movie premieres and award shows asking pretty, pretty, you know, silly questions. If I'm looking back on it and being truthful, you know, um, as one does on the red carpet. Um, But that is where I first got used to um, doing interviews and speaking to celebrities. Um, and then I had a, a real turning point, which was um, I decided to cover the 1992 March for Women's Lives in Washington, somehow convinced my bosses at Us Magazine to send me. And that was the first time that I interviewed um, people like Jane Fonda and Gloria Steinem and Cindy Lauper and Jonathan Demi, all of these Well known figures who would come to use their voice to promote a cause that was important to them. Um, And it was a real awakening for me also just to be out her organization mothers and others for a livable planet to stop pesticide use and I walked the halls with Alec Baldwin to promote the National Endowment of the Arts, you know, in, in Washington. Um, And so that was where I decided this was sort of my niche, was kind of using um, media to help well-known figures get their message, um, promote their organizations and charities. And I began doing that not just for InStyle, but I started doing that for all different platforms, you know, from Huffington Post to E! The Entertainment Magazine. And then sort of coinciding with that, I also my my husband's background is in solar energy, and he's always been a little bit ahead of his time. And he had heard about this thing called the internet, and so back in like 1992, um, he had launched uh, an environmental site, EcoMall.com, and he was every he was just like everybody should have a domain name, and nobody knew what they were. And I had just interviewed Gloria Steinem, and. I was at a picnic. The next thing I knew, I had the name feminist.com and had no idea what to do with this name, called up a bunch of colleagues. You know, we decided to launch um, this website with (laughs) the sort of, you know, mandate that. Um, Most organizations weren't online yet. Um, They didn't even have computers yet. We were the first website for the Ms. Foundation, Equality Now. V-Day was founded at my dining room table with Eve Ensler. Only 15% of internet users back then were women. So um, we launched, Femis.com celebrates its 25-year anniversary this year uh, because we launched officially in 1995. And then I've just been, you know, it's from there, you know, I think it's been a combination. You know, I also, you know, wrote this book, I've, I've written a few books, um, but what will it take to make a woman president? Um, conversations about leadership, conversations about women, leadership and power. And out of that book decided to launch what will it take movements at com as a platform wow. to sort of um, uplift organizations and um you know, women's voices um, that are working sort of cross-sector um, in leadership. And now it's just sort of a big blend of me doing interviews, you know, promoting and uplifting media that is not only women-focused, but, but really talking about all of the many intersectional issues that we face right now um, and hoping to create dialogue, to create community um, highlight actions and organizations, diverse voices and thought leaders. Um, and you know, that's sort of a, a little bit of a sense of how I got to where I am today.
1: Oh my gosh. That is, that is such a, an incredible whirlwind of a story. I have, I, I've been taking notes as you've been talking and I have like 20 different questions, but I have to pick one to go with next. So, so one of the things I think um, that impresses me most about your story is that at every stage you have kind of, uh, you, you've been very receptive and open to innovating and forging your own path from, you know, approaching your editors at, at um, Us Magazine and saying, hey, you know, I really want to do something that might not be in our typical wheelhouse. Please send me um, to, to do this story um, to, you know, scoring scoringfeminist.com being on the early early uh, push on the, on the internet. like I can't even imagine what feminist.com is worth as far as a domain <laughs> right now. That's insane. Um, <laughs> but you, it seems like at every point in your path, you've been very open to, to forging a new direction and, and doing different things. So, So can you talk to me a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, thank you. I guess I hadn't really thought that through, but I think... You know, I come to my work with really um, a sense of like, how can I best serve? Like, ultimately, I am really committed. The world faces a lot of serious problems right now. And, you know, I think always I just have like an internal, you know, set somewhere within me to see how I can make a difference. And I think part of that has been really, you know, as much as I put stuff out there has been listening, being receptive and just paying attention. And, you know, whether that is in the form of, you know, sort of just pivoting the type of writing and interviews that I'm, that I was doing. um, I think, you know, some of it always, I just have like an internal, you know, set somewhere within me to see how I can make a difference. And I think part of that has been really, you know, as much as I put stuff out there has been listening, being receptive and just paying attention. And, you know, whether that is in the form of, you know, sort of just pivoting the type of writing and interviews that I'm that I was doing. Um, I think, you know, some of it comes from my internal compass. I mean, I think even when I was working, um, and doing the stuff at us. And I actually don't I, I really value that time. It was really fun. It was glamorous. Again, I'm so not phased by interviewing celebrities because the fact that I had that experience. Um, but I was very aware to check in with myself that it wasn't deeply fulfilling some part of me like I just sort of knew it wasn't sort of the fullness of what I wanted um, for you know my work and my life. And so I think part of it is, you know, paying attention internally to how I'm, you know, feeling about what I'm doing, whether it feels right or if something feels off and sort of following that intuition. And then I also think it is sort of just, um, you know, even the way right now, I mean, you wouldn't know this when going to feminist.com, but we've been in deep strategic planning, thinking through how to refresh and rebrand the website um, because of the fact that uh, I do feel like the feminist movement has changed so much since we launched and we want to be sure to be you know much more you know intersectional and um, really uplifting all of the many diverse voices. There's so many misconceptions about feminism, you know it, it needs to be inclusive of so many different communities um, as well as uh, men you know there's just so many different ways that feminism has changed. And then I think um, the, in terms of of like, you know, a lot of it has been seeing where watching the response. So even when feminist.com did one of its very first salons, I decided to do an event, you know, that was hosted by Gloria Steinem um, and how meaningful that was for the people that were there. It was the first time I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should be doing like in-person events like that's a a whole other way for people to connect and to have these conversations and to create community. So I, I just think, you know, sometimes it's also like trying new things um and it doesn't mean for every one you know sort of successful you know um outcome that i haven't had ones that felt like you know maybe wasn't you know the right move and and sort of just acknowledging that i think just following my intuition and also being willing to sort of step out there and and take risks and also to be truthful I have, you you wouldn't know all of this. I have incredible people around me who have been advisors and colleagues and a real support system who I go to for almost every step of the way in my work. And that to me is part of my also secret weapon is I really do reach out um, when I am in need of guidance or, you know, some type of of direction or support.
1: (laughs) That is awesome. So, so I'm gonna go ahead and and continue down that thread because I think that that's one of the the really important pieces in being entrepreneurial is sur- surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, so that they can, you know, kind of help you along on the journey. So, what what did you do, um, and and what are some ways that you would advise others to find that team and allow them to support you?
0: I think, you know, I mean, I think it's intentionally, you know, seeking out um, those who you, whose work you respect and admire, looking for also opportunities, you know, to, well, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, so it's hard to be at in-person events, um, the way that you and I even connected, right, at at an event, um, yeah. you know, whenever that was <laughs> a few months ago, seems like ages ago. Yeah, it seems like um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I... Um, I think, you know, I am somebody who is is very collaborative. Like all along, I feel like, you know, it's part of the, you know, the magic of all of the projects and platforms that I'm working on is the fact that, you know, we're, we're all sort of stronger together. And um, I'm very aware of what my strengths are and what my skill sets are. Um, and I celebrate those. Um, and I'm also aware of the thing of of sort of the the skill, the complementary skills, perspectives that I am missing. So whether it's reaching out um, for additional insights, um, you know, even in, in my work and writing or feminist.com, what will it take um, to be sure that I have, you know, inclusive perspectives um, in terms of on my, you know, advisory board. Um, or people that I'm working with to the fact that I reach out, I do all these like, you know, roundup pieces all the time. Whenever I'm interested in a specific issue, reaching out to like the thought leaders and organizations that are working in those spaces to find out like what are they doing? How can I uplift your work? And in doing that, reaching out in that very sort of like you know open hearted, collaborative way, I find it just generates um these really meaningful connections that then can be, you know, mutually beneficial um because you know we all do things differently we all have different lenses of how we see the world and see see our work and i think you only benefit when you sort of reach out intentionally you know that support is there
1: yeah well and so so you've touched on a couple of times actually one of the things that i re- i really want to talk with you about you know we we've we've kind of hit on the fact that right now we're just in a Very strange, um, strange time. Uh, 2020 has been a rough year. But one of the things that has, of course, come to the forefront is um, racial equity. And I know that you as an individual and what will it take and feminist.com and in your work, you have uh, you've worked really hard to be inclusive and to make sure that all voices are represented. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, um, You know, particularly as it pertains to women, but really as it pertains to all. Um, why is that a, a driving force for you? Why is that something that you feel is important?
0: Well, I think it's never been more clear why that's important now. I mean, my basic uh, understanding is that that we can't have, you know, an equal just world without looking at um, all of the many uh, communities that are, um, you know, affected by different forms of inequality and injustice. Um, I just interviewed, just uh, posted this week an interview with um, Kimberly Crenshaw, who is the one who coined the term intersectionality. Um, more than 30 years ago, which is really all about how all of our many different social identities overlap, and that you have to sort of look at all of those identities in order to um, be able to collectively, uh, you know, uproot injustice um, and inequality. So um, to me, you know, even when I talk about women's leadership, or, you know, women's equality, I always try to say, this is a matter of diversity, you know, it's a matter of um, having a reflective democracy when we're talking about politics. I mean, to me, you can't, you know, for example, be like a racist feminist. That just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It is the basic premise that everybody, no matter, you know, what the different, you know, class of many classifications and divides we use to divide us, um, you know, we need to, you know, make sure that everybody has the same abilities and opportunities and Um, You know, and rights um, across all of those different identities. So to me, it's, it's, I think it's never been more clear just based on what's happening in the world right now, um, you know, in the wake of these Um, you know, horrible murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and like countless other um, Black Americans and all of the many ways that systemic racism is sort of just entrenched in our in our institutions and systems and societies. It's just we'll never get there if we don't look at why why we're experiencing um, all of these many problems and look to work to collectively cross silos, um, you know, to Uproot all of all of these these problems and injustices together. So to me, it's just you know all along I'm very aware that I am you know I am a middle aged you know white woman and you know that I can't see necessarily um, it through you know a, a certain lens that um, some of these issues that you need to through you know a black a black woman's eyes. Um, So to me, the way that I reach out very intentionally to do interviews or to cover their work, is just a natural part. I think without it, it, it is just it's 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 not complete and it's hypocritical. So I've always felt that the movement, the women's movement, the feminist movement, um, needs to be much more inclusive um, in a very intentional way. And I think, as I said, we are at a moment where I think we're realizing this. It's part of the reason our, our world is not working is because of all of these, you know, systemic problems and the ways that inequities of all types are baked into you know our whole society and system.
1: Yeah. It, so, so, and I even remember, you know, when we connected, when you were back here in um, Kansas City, however long ago was, you know, we went out to to lunch, and I think one of the things that we talked about was changing and reframing the discussion around feminism so that it's more comprehensive, inclusive, and intersectional. And so the the example that I always kind of grab out of my toolbox when I'm talking with people about Innovate Her Casey in our work is, you know, when we talk about um, women getting the vote, everybody gets really excited. They're like, oh, it's been 100 years since women got the vote. And the fact is, that's not actually true. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, 100 years ago, white women got yeah. the vote but mm-hmm. women of color didn't get the vote until 30 years later exactly. and so when we talk about feminism and when we talk about women's movements and women's rights those are the kinds of conversations that we need to be having because if we are if we're talking about it from the light of white feminism then we are leaving a whole subset of information off the table um, so so yeah. I know that you are so intentional about what it is that you do uh, in, in that regard. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yes. Um, thank you. So, so let me ask you this. Um, I, I feel like you are uniquely qualified to answer this question. Um, and, and it's one of the questions that I've kind of always wanted to ask you. But you have talked to so many women, so many thought leaders, so many um, people about this. What will it take (laughs) to become president?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I feel like forever I'm going to be answering that question. Well, first of all, let me just say um, for anybody who, you know, has has read the book. um, It started from this question from my eight year old daughter, Lotus, after um, uh, Barack Obama was elected president. We were talking about how remarkable it was to have. Um, you know, a, a black president, our first black president. And she said, why haven't we ever had a woman president? And that led me on this whole journey to do the book, which that's why it's not as simple. It it took me like 60 interviews um, looking at it through all these different lenses of everybody from, you know, from Gloria Steinem to Anita Hill to Nicholas Kristoff to, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand to Melissa Etheridge. I mean, I, I went to like everybody, to look at why we haven't had a woman president, because it does um, sort of, uh, you know, sort of tap into so many different elements of our, you know, society and, um, you know, just, our, you know, political systems and beyond. Um, but I think, you know. There's there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. I mean, certainly I do think part of it is like having the right candidate at the right time. Um, We are definitely getting closer than we ever had. and i do think although she did not um ultimately become president um the candidacy of hillary clinton was certainly a huge milestone in terms of the fact that we have to remember that she did win the popular vote by you know 18 million votes so obviously we are willing to vote for Um, a female president. There were a lot of factors in the last election I do not need to go into about why she didn't ultimately win. Um, But we did, you know, at least celebrate that that milestone. Um, I also think that we're getting closer in the sense that this past um, election season, we had six candidates. um, And they were, you know, whereas the last time around, it was very just focused on, you know, just Hillary. Um, We had six very diverse, different women running who had You know, just sort of different styles of leadership. They were, you know, different um, ethnicities. They, you know, had different, you know, sets of values. It was very healthy for us to have that many choices and see that many different types of female leaders. So I think all those things are helping us get closer. Um, I do think that we will have, um, well, I mean, and and Joe Biden has committed to having our first, um, to having our, you know, a female VP running um, alongside him, which I think is also going to be um, hugely helpful in terms of just helping us visualize having a female head of state, which of course many other countries have celebrated this this milestone. And we're seeing actually how effective they are in managing their pandemic in their countries. I did a whole article on that too, um, because it is turning out that the countries that are led by women um, across the world are actually faring better than many countries that don't have a female leader. So we should look at that for anybody who thinks that women are not suited to being a leader. But ultimately, talking about it in a sort of bigger way, it's going to take, um, you know, obviously structural change in the sense of there's a lot of structural Um, impediments, whether it's incumbency or the huge amount of money that it takes to run a successful campaign, which has always been shown to be more difficult for, for female candidates to raise that kind of money. We need campaign finance reform, um, to a support system and network that support, you know, female candidates, um, to, so, you know, there's cultural issues. There's the way the media portrays female candidates in often negative ways, portrays, you know, ambitious, confident, powerful women sometimes in negative ways, to the internal, you know, glass ceilings that I think a lot of women face in terms of seeing themselves as a leader. You know, there's all these studies that show at a certain age, um, girls stop, you know, thinking they want to be a leader or, or wanting to run for president, that there's something that happens to, to, to girls and young women's self-esteem at a certain age that, you know, prevents them from sort of, you know, seeking out leader leadership positions or advocating for themselves. So um, we have a lot of different, you know, work to do. Um, I, but I do feel that we are ready and that it's probably just a matter of time um, before we can hopefully celebrate that milestone. Absolutely. So one of the things that um
1: I think it's really important to highlight the fact that, and you you touched on this beautifully, so it's a great segue, Um, but the fact is, you know, organizations and um, even, you know, civic entities, um, when you see a high incidence of female leadership, when you see a high incidence of Um, diverse opinions and viewpoints these these institutions and these organizations they actually perform better and so I'm wondering if you can can speak to to the why behind that a little bit Um, you know we've kind of touched on in general terms why diversity and inclusion is important but the specifics of, of what female leaders what leaders of color bring to the table that can help to to actually uh, to help and benefit outcomes for businesses, for organizations, for civic institutions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there, and there have been so many studies and reports saying that absolutely, you know, that companies who have uh, greater diversity of all types perform better. Um, and I think also, I mean, it, just in talking about the political sphere, um, you know, I feel like one of the things that you know. Mm-hmm women and, you know, diverse women that we we bring to our leadership is just our, you know, our experiences and our perspectives, which I feel like, you know, has never been more important, you know, even if you're talking about, you know, just the issues we talk about in Washington, talk, whether you're talking about um, violence against women, sexual assault in the military to, um, you know, to issues that have to do with child care, women's health, reproductive, you know choice all of these many issues we need to be seated at these tables because it's 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 very important to be able to be included you know, to hear um our personal experience if you're going to be legislating on these issues so there's there's obviously that um, but i also think that there Um, And I want to I never want to make generalizations because not all women are one way, not all men are another way, you know, so it's it's really important to say that. But there have been a lot of studies that talk about these sort of qualities that um, that women are sort of sometimes known to bring, whether it is being good communicators, Good listeners, um, thinking about the greater whole, um, you know, rather than sort of, you know, thinking about things in sort of a more—I um, don't know what the right word is. Um, it, in a, it just sort of a you know a political way thinking about the the greater good women are known to be consensus builders, which of course when you're talking about what's in such a divided partisan atmosphere as there is in in Washington right now is is super important being willing to sort of reach across the aisle but I also think I mean even if you're you know looking um at the issues that we're facing now um the all the many issues, all the many different ways that marginalized um, communities are impacted, whether it's around issues of racialized police violence to um it, the pandemic, I mean, I have a whole COVID gendered platform now that you can find on what will it take, which is looking at, you know, at this sort of through a gender lens, because we're finding out how um, the all different, not just women, all different, you know, people of color, immigrants, all different marginalized groups are being impacted disproportionately um in the wake of the pandemic and we need to be able to look at that in order to you know create solutions so y- you need to have th- the perspectives and experiences of of you know the people that you know companies and institutions and our political systems are aiming to serve otherwise you know, we just lose out not just on those perspectives, but on the visions, the talents, you know, the all of the solutions that um, that come with that. And and right now, we need all hands on deck um, in terms of the very serious and urgent matters that we face. So you know, right now, I feel like you know there is no other choice than to try to be more inclusive in every way.
1: Yeah. Well, so of course, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so, so I have one final question for you, and this is going to be kind of the the fun question. This is the one that I I, I told myself that when you and I talked, I would kick myself if I didn't ask. <laughs> uh, so, so here it goes. And you don't have to name names, but you have talked to so many incredible women leaders. You know, whether that's Gloria Steinem, Hillary Clinton, uh, Stacey Abrams. You know, just all of these absolute heroes. And I'm just curious, do you have any crazy stories?
0: Crazy stories,
1: crazy stories, like something that somebody said that surprised you, or made you laugh, or, or you know, just kind of took you aback.
0: Right. Um. That's interesting. I, I you know, you know, one of the most meaningful conversations that I've had was with. Um, it's a very personal story, but is with Oprah Winfrey. Because she was somebody who, um, in my head, I had like watched a Super Soul Sunday episode. And there was something that she had said about you should try to vision, um, you know, this moment for you. Like the the sort of power of visualization in terms of, you know, reaching your goals. And I had literally played around with for a while visualizing interviewing Oprah. At that point, I had interviewed a lot of people. I'd never interviewed Oprah and um, because I knew it was less about who she was a celebrity, it was more just like, I really admire her, I connect with her, same goal of trying to like sort of use her, you know, her voice and platforms to, you know, promote, you know, empowerment for people and a better world. And um, so that when I got I had done a phone interview with her. Um, but then I got called to interview her in person at super soul, a taping of super soul Sunday. I was the only, um, interview that she was doing that day. And it was, um, uh, for, um, she had a documentary belief that she was going to, you know, want to talk about, I decided on the spot to share with her how powerful this moment was that this was the moment I had visualized was, you know, being, interviewing her. Um, And she took my hands and her eyes filled with tears. And she said, thank you. You know, I feel blessed by that. And we just like, it was like this frozen moment in time. Um, And it was like such a full, full circle moment for me. Um, but to me i I always tell that story because I do think that you know sometimes you know visualization of um you know what you want for yourself is you know, I mean, it was pretty powerful, not to say it's always going to happen in that kind of literal way. But I also appreciated like I could tell that she really was, you know, sort of like touched by me sharing kind of a hokey sort of personal story. So and also that that was one of the probably one of my favorite interviews I ever have done because it was such a personal, you know, uh, interview because we were talking about issues of spirituality and, you know, what all the different faiths across the world have in common. Um, But I've many, many, many stories like that, but that's one that always stands out to me as being, you know, was very profound.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, you just kind of knocked me on my butt on that one. So, so, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and Marianne, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, I knew that this this conversation was going to go fast, and that I was going to leave it knowing that we just we didn't have enough time. Um, but it has been a true pleasure talking to you and learning about you know what drives you and talking to you about some really important issues. So I, I can't thank
0: you enough for being with us here today on the Start a Hustle podcast. Well, thank you so much. I, I enjoyed the conversation, and I'm, I'm you know happy to be here.
1: Oh, awesome! Well, and and you know maybe we're gonna have to have you back because I want to delve deeply into a whole bunch of issues that we talked about, but. Until that time, uh, thank you so much for being with us here for the Startup Hustle podcast. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Full Scale. You can find us on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast or check out our YouTube channel. Thanks so much and we will catch you next time.